Welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. My name is Trevor Bohm and I will be your host. Every week or so, I try to get myself a fascinating human on the mic for you, someone who looks at the civilized world just like you do and says no thank you. Someone who wants to break some rules, to lead, and to bring their unique vision into the world. Someone for whom the status quo simply will not do. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. Please dive in. Hey folks, welcome back to the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Trey Verboom, your host. And today I'm talking with a fascinating man. Like, hang on for this one. Uh, I have Kirk Parsley coming in. I should say Dr. Kirk Parsley. And this is going to be a masterclass in sleep. And why you need to sleep, why we don't sleep, why we don't think sleep is important in this country, and how to unfuck your sleep. So Kirk Parsley is an ex-Navy SEAL who decided to work with that community around their sleep. Guess what? You have a bunch of 18 to 30-year-old type A hyper-masculine killers. I imagine that from time to time they have challenges sleeping. We also, as a as a nation or in the military, you know, they get asked to stay up for long periods of time. So this is a really, really interesting conversation. Uh, I didn't know it would go as long as it went, but man, when this guy talks, I just was like, "Uh uh-huh, tell me more, Uh uh-huh, tell me more, because this is a fascinating subject to me. If you think about this, we as a culture, as humans, have trouble doing biological things. Isn't that wild? Like a lot of people can't sleep. The most natural thing on earth, a lot of people can't poop. We have gotten to a point where we're so against our own, or we're living in a manner that's so foreign to our biology that our biology doesn't do its basic nature, right? Really, 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 really fascinating idea. So dive into this one and you may want to take some notes. You may want want to listen to this a couple of times. Like he does not fuck around. This is a doctor who is also a SEAL telling you how to sleep better, how to be more productive, how to have better performance, and how to live a kick-ass life. Uh, so b- before we dive in, I'd love to mention our sponsors for the, for today's show. As you guys know, uh, Zen Squatch has come in and been this, uh, this beautiful, beautiful company with an amazing mission and really helped me out. I got to know their founder really well. I actually, He actually was roommates with a buddy of mine from high school. And I didn't know this until we got on the phone. Uh, So there's a personal tie here. And I just love the mission, you guys. I love any company that's out there saying, hey, guess what? You need to go fuck shit up in the world. And you need to come home and stop and take a couple deep breaths. Right? That's That's what they're putting out there into the world. Uh, a portion of all their sales go to public meditation centers, which, gee, do you think we need those right now? I certainly do. So please go to zensquatch.com. You can use the, the code uncivilized. We'll give you 20% off and free shipping. These guys are amazing. Super grateful that they sponsor the podcast, as well as Cured Nutrition. My good buddy, Joe Sheehy, runs the company, Brilliant CBD Products. As I said, you guys all know, Uh, Katie, my partner, uses their CBN product at night. It's one of the few things that she's ever been able to use to get to sleep and to stay asleep. So if you go to curednutrition.com forward slash uncivilized and use the code uncivilized, you will get yourself another fat discount. So I hope you are ready. 
I hope you're ready to learn all the things you didn't know about sleep, all the things you didn't know about biology, all the things you didn't know about health. Without further ado, Dr. Kirk Parsley. <laughs> Consent is all there is to the law anymore. <laughs> Doc Parsley, welcome to Uncivilized Podcast. I appreciate you coming in. Uh, as I said right before we hopped on, I had a number of guys reach out a month ago and ask about sleep. And I said, I'm a licensed acupuncturist. I used to work with people on health, but I had sleep issues until I got divorced. And then what do you know? <laughs> you, <laughs> divorced, like a... you divorced your insomnia? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like, I didn't sleep at all during my marriage. Maybe it's a whole nother conversation, but I've been sleeping well since, but realized that this is a, a big issue for people, especially yeah. for men. Would you mind giving us a little bit of background on, on how you came to be the man you are around sleep specifically. Yeah, well, ironically, I, I, well, I guess coincidentally, I learned uh, everything I know. I know about sleep, or you know, I, I at least started this journey by working with men who didn't think they needed sleep. So, you know, I was, uh, I actually dropped out of high school um, at seventeen. Um, I'd, I'd seen this video about how Navy SEAL training was like the toughest training in the world. I didn't even really know what the SEAL was, but it's like, I want to go do the toughest training in the world. So I'll go do that. So, yeah, they let me sign up with complete ignorance, uh, to go, you know, become a SEAL. And, uh, obviously I made it through SEAL training and, uh, I was, I was a SEAL for six years. And then, you know, I, I, I got out of the SEAL teams, just to do other things because, uh, you know, for, for me, like I was pre nine 11, you know? Um, so we were what was called the Hollywood seals. You know, we didn't really, we didn't really do any combat stuff. We just traveled around the world and jumped out of planes and scuba dived and, you know, whatever race dune buggies across the desert and did, you know, we did a lot of fun, cool stuff, but yeah. it was like a young single man's game. Uh, I was, you know, kind of becoming neither. So I decided I was, going to get married and have kids and build a family and a career or whatever. So, uh, I thought like maybe I'd be a, you know, strength and conditioning coach, athletic trainer, maybe a physical therapist, something like that. So I started volunteering at San Diego sports medicine, uh, facility center in, uh, San Diego, obviously. And, um, pretty quickly decided I didn't want to do any of those things. Uh, yeah, but it was a healthcare mecca. So I got to work with every kind of healthcare worker you could possibly imagine. Um, you know, we had MDs, DOs, we had sports med, we had ortho, we had family practice, we had podiatry, we had acupuncturists, we had massage therapists, like we had everything. So uh, I got to, you know, just kind of shadow everybody as I worked there with the whole time I was in college, decided I'd be a doctor or at least try to be a doctor. And uh, I, when I went to you know, I'll, I'll age myself a little here. When I went to medicals, you know, when, when, once I got my MCAT and my GPA, I like, you know, I had to go down to the bookstore and get one of those Kaplan books to figure out what schools I was competitive for. Cause you know, that, this is pre-internet, like pre-useful internet at least. Right. I remember. Uh, <laughs> so as I'm flipping through this book, I find out that the military has their own medical school. And I didn't know that. Like I, you know, to, it never entered my mind. Like that was a closed chapter in my life. I'd done it. I'd moved on, but I was already married. I already had a kid. I'm like, all right, so they'll pay me to go to medical school instead of the other way around. 
pretty good deal, right? Uh, I was able to support my family while I went to medical school. You know, yeah, you know, I finished medical school with uh, we had three kids, and wow. you know, and my wife wasn't having to work, and we were living, you know, a comfortable life at least. But the way the military works, they'll train you to do a lot of great stuff, but it's it's basically a two to one. So for every year they train you, you got to give them a couple of years doing what they've trained you to do. So I was in for eight, you know, bought me into an eight year contract after I finished medical school, essentially. And uh, I figured I'd get back to the SEAL teams as their position. You know, all I'd ever thought about was, was uh, you know, ortho and sports med, because that was my only exposure to medicine. And I just thought that's what I was going to do when I went back to the SEAL teams. And I went back to the SEAL teams. I got there at a great time where they're building their first sports medicine facility. I'd worked at a sports medicine facility my entire time in college. So like I was like, they put me in charge of building it. Perfect. Right. Not, I didn't physically build it. Right. I supervised the building out of it. And then, you know, we hired our first physical therapist, our first physical therapy assistant, our first strength, you know, strength and conditioning coach, our first nutritionist, exercise physiologist, like everything. And we got really, really good people. Right. We were getting people from the Olympic training centers, from professional sports teams. And then I was, you know, the dumbest guy around. So because I, you know, I'd, we'd gotten all these world-class experts. And so now everybody, I'm pretty useless, right? And so <laughs> when you're useless in the military, they put you in charge, right? So I said, now you're, now you're going to supervise it. So that was the, that was my job really was to supervise this facility of all these people who knew more than I did. And, uh, but what would happen is, you know, the, the SEALs are a lot like professional athletes and that the worst thing that you can do to them is to put them on the bench, like to take them out of their platoon. You, like it's literally, that's literally the worst thing you could do. You take away their money, you could take away their rank. You can probably take away their family for, 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 for a bit before taking them out of a platoon, you know? So when they go see healthcare providers, they just lie and, you know, they have to go do their physicals and whatever. And they're just like, yeah, I'm great, man. Everything's great. And, uh, of course that leads to them getting really poor care. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll go out in the town and, you know, they'll go out into the city and they'll find people to, to treat them and they'll pay out of their pocket because they don't trust the military not to screw them over and take them out of the job. So because I'd been a SEAL, and I'd been a SEAL recently enough to where there are a lot of SEALs around that I would, that I'd been a SEAL with. And so, uh, you know, I had, I had a good reputation amongst those guys. And so they just, they'd come in and they'd shut the door and say, Hey man, let me tell you what's really going on with me. And, uh, they would say, you know, things like, you know, they're just really moody. They're like short tempered with, uh, their family. They're short tempered with their coworkers you know, their motivation just sucks. You know, it's like they, you know, they're seals. So they, you know, they're driven guys They get up, they do it anyway, but they don't feel like doing it. Like every day is kind of drudgery, even though they're doing the job they love body composition, shifting, you know, eating perfectly, like working with the nutritionist, working with the strength and conditioning coaches, doing everything they're supposed to be doing the way they're supposed to be doing it. They're getting fatter. They're getting weaker. They're losing muscle. You know, the body aches all over the place. Their concentration sucks. Their memory sucks. Their articulation, verbal fluency, all of that's drifting down. Sex drive sucks. Sexual performance is going down. And basically, uh, 
describing all the symptoms of like metabolic sim- syndrome or something. And then if you do labs on them, which I, you know, I was a Western trained medical physician. So all I knew how to do is recognize and treat disease and they didn't have any diseases. You know, they just weren't performing the way they wanted to perform. So I just did this whole, like, I didn't have a clue. Like, I don't know, let's just test everything. So I did like every serum marker I thought could possibly be relevant. They were going down and giving like 17 or 18 vials of blood and I was getting like 98 different reports back and just looking for a trend. And long about the, uh, well into it. I, I mean, I probably saw like 400 guys in my office over the, my time there. I mean, a good ways into it, one guy said something to me about using Ambien hmm. every night. Yeah. And I thought, hmm, seems like a lot of guys have mentioned that. So I just put a little note in the margin and just kept going with them. And then, you know, just a note to myself to look through and see if that was common, a common uh, occurrence across the guys who'd come to see me. And sure enough, I go back through my uh, shadow files and every single person who had been in my office was taking Ambien. Uh, and I thought, huh. Yeah. You know, but again, I was a Western trained medical physician. So I didn't know anything about sleep because I didn't get a single class on sleep. Uh, you know, uh, I, I mean, I didn't know anything more about sleep than my gardener. You know, like you <laughs> grab the average guy off the street and say, what do you know about sleep? I don't know. Like, lay your head down to sleep, right? Yeah. Nobody knows anything <laughs> about sleep. So, I mean, I, I'd taken pharmacology, so I knew what Ambien was. I knew what class or drug it was. I knew the mechanism of action, as they call it, which doesn't really tell you anything. Like, it's a GABA analog, so it works like GABA. I'm like, okay, well, what does GABA do in right. sleeping? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, right, so now I have to learn, what does GABA do when you sleep? And then, well, in order to understand that, you have to understand what everything else does. And so I had to learn a lot, you know, to figure out if I thought that was important. You know, and the, and the problem with the pharmaceutical industry is that when they, when they apply for licensing of a drug through the FDA, they actually do the research and then they own the research. So they give the FDA the research they want the FDA to have. Mm-hmm. They get to cherry pick it. They don't, there's no obligation for them to report anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can just choose the research they've done and give the summary they, they want to give. And so the, the side effect profile on Ambien was r- ridiculously wrong. Um, it wasn't even, it wasn't even the na- in the neighborhood of reality. And the efficacy of it was greatly exaggerated. So fortunately, around the same time, so I had two things going for me. One is that I was a doctor for the West Coast SEALs and the SEALs had already killed bin Laden. And there was, you know, it had this celebrity status. And so I, you know, I could read somebody's book or watch somebody lecture whatever, something like that. And then I could just call them up and say, Hey, I'm, I'm the doctor for the West coast seal teams. I saw your lecture, I saw your Ted talk, I read your book. Could I come train with you? Can I consult with you? We'll run patients, especially whatever. Everybody was really generous with their time. And then also this was right around the time that, uh, um, that the pharmaceutical industries were getting successfully sued for the, for the Z drugs because of the dissociative properties of them. So people were taking them and getting in their car and driving to Vegas and gambling their life savings away, picking up hookers, eating a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. Like, and what was happening was, you know, the neocortex of the brain 
uh, like that's the part that we think of when we think of the human brain, like a picture of the human brain, that wrinkly kind of gray crescent shaped thing that sits over the, the brain stem, right? The lizard brain. And the, that drug just essentially dissociates those two. Oh, they're wow. both, they're both still working. They're just not really in communication. So you don't really, you're not really uh, paying attention to what you're doing, but you're just doing primal behavior, which is your, your monkey brain, mm-hmm. which is basically to reproduce and feed yourself and seek pleasure. Mm. Right. Um, so hedonistic behavior. And so anyway, these, uh, when, once I started learning about what sleep drugs really do and how they affect your sleep. And I started learning about what actually happens when you sleep. Cause I didn't know. I thought, well, you sleep yeah, because you need to rest and you like restore or something like, I didn't really know exactly what was happening. But once I learned Oh, well, that's when all your anabolic hormones are being secreted. That's when you're repairing things. That's when you're flushing out waste. That's when you're taking things from short-term memory to long-term memory. That's when you're categorizing emotional events. That's when like all this stuff. And then, and then all it takes is a, you know, a little bit of logic to go, well, every symptom that they're complaining about could be explained by not getting good sleep. Mm-hmm. And if they're using sleep drugs, how good is their sleep? Mm-hmm. So that's really where we got to. Um, and so I just said, well, you know, I think this is worth trying. And so let's try to get everybody off of sleep drugs. Um, and so I came up with a combination of a bunch of, you know, over the counter supplements Mm -hmm. to try to help people sleep because they were taking sleep drugs because they couldn't sleep. So I couldn't just take away their sleep drugs and say, go sleep anyway. (laughs) So anyway, that, uh, you know, those, you know, those guys helped me greatly create that concoction because they were coming back and giving me feedback and then they were buying different uh, forms of the different ingredients. And, you know, we were finding out kind of which things work better and we were adjusting the dosages. And so the, we kind of got it all uh, coalesced into like one it was actually just a handout as a, and said, go buy all these things that told the stores where you could go buy them and guys were having to go out and buy it. And then they just harangued me into making a product out of it. And that's where, I, that's where my sleep supplement came from sure. was really just the, to get them off my back so that I could, you know, I could just sell it, sell it to the SEAL teams. And then I ended up launching it with Rob Wolf and, and I, I still don't sell, I still don't sell to the, to the SEAL teams. I just, uh, <laughs> I, it turned into a real business. So like, you know, that was surprising. So now we have like the supplement thing on the side. Um, but anyway, I got everybody off of, off the sleep drugs and, you know, they're, their total testosterone tripled and quadrupled their, you know, uh, insulin sensitivity improved by 50 to hundred percent Their, you know, their HSCRP went down, their homocysteine went down, like all their inflammatory markers went down, oxidative markers went down, all of their, uh, anabolic markers went up, you know, they started getting their memory back, their mood, mood stabilized, uh, you know, body composition, shifting back, losing fat, gaining muscles. I had 45 year old guys getting, you know, PRs and mm. CrossFit and mm-hmm. jujitsu and triathlons and whatever, you know, it's, uh, so, you know, while, while I was doing that, that, you know, the seals were doing these, um, pre and post retreats. So like before a seal team would deploy, uh, the SEAL teams would take take them and their families out to a resort and they'd put on like a three-day symposium. It was basically to, to prepare them and their families for them being gone. And then when they came back, it was to prepare them for reintegration. Um, and so there was, 
all the stuff you would imagine there around, you know, family dynamics and psychology of killing and, you know, we, you know like Dave Grossman would come and all these uh, folks like that. But th- we also did a lot around, uh, a lot around health. So we'd bring in lecturers around from around the world, like whoever was a hot topic at that time. That's, that's how I met Rob Wolf. He would, he would come and lecture on nutri- nutrition and we brought in, you know, guys like Cresser and John Wellborn to do, yeah. you know, fitness stuff. And, and so I started sharing the stage with these guys because the military had me, right. They, they, they owned me. So I was free. They, so they put me in all of those. Um, <laughs> but then all these guys, uh, you know, I got to know all these other lecturers and they would invite me on their podcast. And when they would get called to do symposiums, they'd recommend me. And then I started kind of doing this international lecture circuit. And then I just became the sleep guy. Yeah. Uh, but I was truly the performance guy, right? Because I was doing exercise, nutrition, sleep, and mindfulness with all of the SEALs there. But then, you know, and, and that's what I do with clients now. But what I'm best known for is sleep. So that was a really long-winded answer. But that's that's how I became the sleep guy. I love you know? it. First of all, I love, just love stories. So thank you for telling a yeah. great story. And it is a great story of, of one, and we could go for a different tangent of, ending up probably where you're supposed to be, but not where you thought you would be, right? And I imagine you've done more good as a sleep doc for all biological health than perhaps as a performance doc, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I've definitely done a lot more for people with this focus than I would have if I, you know, finished out in the orthopedics realm, right? Right. I'd just be another guy with a screwdriver, you know? Yeah. and now, you know, when I first started doing this, the sound, wa- the the radio waves were silent, man. There wasn't anybody talking about sleep. Right. Uh, there was like one book that people were referring to, Lights Out. And that was it, man. There was no, there was nobody podcasting about it. I didn't like any symposium I went to. I was the only one ever lecturing about it. You know, it'd be 20 different people lecturing about, right. you know, whatever gluten, <laughs> you know, and then, <laughs> and then it'd be this one guy talking about sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and yet what is the most fundamental human activity? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think we're so, if I can ask a philosophical question, why are we so blind to sleep to the idea that sleep actually, like we need to give a fuck about sleep or it makes a difference. Why, right. why are we kind of culturally dumb around sleep? Well, I think there's two, there's two main reasons. And I, I wax philosophical about this all the time. So one of, one of the biggest, most obvious reasons is just the industrial revolution, right? So with the industrial revolution and rural electrification, time became money mm-hmm. and you could work at night, right? You could, because we had lights and we had electricity and you could, you could work in a factory at any time, right? And so, you know, once once we kind of gave up the possibility of surviving on our own and like doing our own farming and our own ranching and you know, mending our own fences and drilling for our own wells and water and like, you know, when once we became this bartering society where, well, that guy does the farming and that guy does the ranching and that guy and not my job is this. And then, yeah, and then we split off even further and said, well, I'm just going to go make money and I'm going to pay these guys to do that because I don't want to do any of that. I'd rather go work in this factory. And then that's when time really became money. And so basically, if you could work more, 
you know, because none of that was really high paying work, right? And you don't, and you don't get to control the costs of, you know, the, the more people who go into that then the fewer relative farmers and ranchers and whatever there are. So now, you know, the cost of goods goes up and which means you got to work more, work more. And then we know like the whole rat race started then, you know, because, yeah. well, then your kids got to go to school and then, well, they're going to need new shoes and, the, you know, and like your wife wants a new appliance and, you know, the rat race started. And so, you know, to live a good life, you had to make money and time was money. And so if you could work a little bit more, you did. And it's, it hasn't changed today, right? If, if you see somebody today and you, you say, Hey, you got, you have to do something that you didn't expect or you're going to have to do. And it's going to take you, it's going to eat up an extra 15 hours this week. What are people going to give up? You know, most of them, they're not going to like, before they give up, they're, they're going to the gym or before they give up their television show, even they're going to give up sleep. So that's one problem. Just culturally, we we decided that that was kind of the luxury of life because you aren't doing anything, right? You're just laying there being lazy. So right. you know, if you're a hard worker, you just get up and go. Obviously, that's ridiculous. But the the other problem, the other reason this happens is that we have very low self-awareness around sleep. With a very, we're very poor judges. Our subjective experience of sleep is almost useless. So, to give an example, you know, there are these, there are these, uh, these trials called the bunker trials, where they took college students and they put them in these World War II bunkers in these cold, dark rooms, uh, no light. There was just a, there was a bed and a toilet. That was it. And the, the experiment was, we're going to lock you in this room for 14 hours a day. We're going to let you out for 10 hours a day. When you're out for 10 hours a day, do whatever you want to. When you're in this room for 14 hours a day, do whatever you want to. But that's the schedule. Um, the average person slept 12 and a half hours when they put them in this room for 14 hours a day. And then over the course of an hour from like three to six weeks, everybody averaged about eight hours of sleep. So that's where this number comes from. Mm -hmm. Just ended up being roughly eight hours of sleep for everybody. And then what you could say at that point is, well, they paid back their sleep debts. They're sleep adapted, mm -hmm. right? And uh, now we can say, well, that's their optimal sleep level. Because if they needed more sleep, they'd be getting it, right? There's nothing preventing them from sleeping. Mm -hmm. So they're getting as much sleep as they need. So they're at their optimal performance. And you can test this, right? You can teach them something. doesn't matter. You can teach them how to type with one hand, teach them how to juggle, teach them like whatever, strength, speed, cognitive, whatever. Teach them how to yodel. I don't know. And you, you teach them a skill and that's their baseline. And then the next night, you take away two hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. And you come back and test them that next morning and they'll do worse. Mm -hmm. But if you ask them, how do you think you did? They'd say, I did worse, right? I didn't, I didn't, I was tired. I didn't sleep enough. Yeah. Same thing happens day two, day three, maybe that happens. But by day four, hundred percent of those people will tell you I've completely adapted to this new sleep schedule. Mm -hmm. And I think I did as well as I've ever done. Mm. And you can show them, no, your performance has gone down just as much today as it did the three days before. Mm -hmm. And they'll argue with you. They don't believe you. Their subjective experience of it is terrible. If you think about it, like I have the 
kind of like the worst job in the world if you think about it because when 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 somebody sleeps perfectly what do they remember about sleep love kiss nothing right just like well i went to bed i don't remember anything until my alarm went off yeah like all right and they're like but they don't know if they slept well or not. And I don't know if they slept well or not either, right? <laughs> it's like, all right, well, you don't remember anything. Probably that was a good night, but maybe it wasn't. I don't really know. Yeah. You know, fortunately, we have, you know, some wearables and stuff now. Like that stuff was just beginning maybe when I started there. We had like the Fitbit, yeah. um, which is nowhere near as good as the current product. But yeah. So that, I mean, I think that's why it's like one, you know, we've decided as a culture that it's kind of a, it's a lazy man's thing to do because it doesn't look like you're doing anything. Mm -hmm. You don't have any subjective experience that you got better while you're asleep. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't like, you know, you aren't moving, you aren't watching somebody move. So they can't be doing anything of any value. So it's a luxury to sleep and it's lazy if you're sleeping when you could be doing something more useful. And then just the lack of self-awareness around sleep and like the, the lack of, uh, subjective measure of sleep i think that that's why it's so fragile in society mm. and it feels like culturally you know we, we that's if i say like i'll sleep when i'm dead it's not the first time you ever heard that it's not the first no. time any guy's ever heard that why do you think and this is a more of i guess a sociological question why is it a badge of honor especially around men yeah. to like to put forward the fact that we're not sleeping as some kind of trophy yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's the same for, for everything in the world, right? It's, it's not that different than social media, right? Like social media right now, you see the highlight reel of everybody's life. Like, you know, th these, these perfect pictures of, of, of everything great that's happening in your life. You don't see any of the down, the down part of it. Right. And like, yeah. and I feel like it, it's just kind of human nature to try to portray this, uh, is perfectionism, you know, this perfect, you know, this perfect vision of yourself, which, you know, is just a lot of insecurity. I mean, we're an insecure animal. Um, you know, the, the reason that we, the reason that stage fright is so common is because, um, you know, evolutionarily, if you walk into your clan or your village or whatever, and everybody's staring at you and you've done something wrong, oh, right. And the, and the worst thing that you can do is get banned from your tribe, or your clan. Right that's certain death. Nobody can survive by themselves out in the world. Right. And so, you know, we, we all, we kind of have like this innate sense in a, in us to please and satisfy and maybe even impress the folks around us. And so, you know, if everybody needs to sleep and everybody gets tired, well then I can go with less sleep and be less tired than I'm better than everybody else. Right. Um, you know, whatever, like being taller is better. Being more muscular is better. You know, there's, there's all these kind of arbitrary things, right. uh, you know, like, yeah, it's better to be taller if you're a basketball player, but if you're an accountant, it probably doesn't matter, but it's still better. Right. For right. some reason. Uh, so, paid more. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's like, there's like these certain things that impress the world. Mm. Uh, and <clears throat> that doesn't mean there's any real intrinsic value to them. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I probably chose the worst two professions in the world for sleep. You right. know, SEALs, like, during SEAL training, you know, part of our screening process is to go a week without sleep. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and then when, like when you get in the SEAL teams, uh, you know, if you get a tasking or something, if, if you're going out in three days, 
you're hardly going to get any sleep in the three days before going out because there's so much work to do. Right. Then you're going to go do an op that might, you know, cause you to be up for 48 or 72 hours straight anyway. Yeah. You're going to be making life and death decisions in that. Then when you go to the hospital, you know, you're, you know, pulling call every third night. So you're working, you know, 36, 40 hours in a row, uh, you know, not getting any sleep and doing that every third night, you're beat down. Even the nights that you are getting sleep, you're not sleeping eight hours. Yeah. You know, it's just not enough time in the day to do what you need to do. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it, and, and it was just this, 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 uh, yeah, like you say, uh, a badge of honor that to prove that you were hard and strong and tough. Um, and now knowing what I know, it's like, I wish I would have never bought into that game, but I did, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, and it, and to some level, at some degree, you have to, you have to play that game until sure. society gets wiser. Right. It's not like, it's not like you could go, you know, try to become a seal right now and say, well, you know, dog Parsley talks about the value of sleep. So I don't think we should do hell week. And, you know, <laughs> like, and I, you know, you know you're not going to change a lot of you know, the institutional crap around that, but, um, you know, but I did make an impact on the SEAL teams. I mean, they did start changing their training schedules and the way they allowed their guys to sleep and the way they kept their birthing areas during sleep times, like, you know, getting rid of all the white light, putting on the red lights and covering all the windows, you know, keeping everything really black and and cold and all that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there, I think as a culture, we're making some progress in it, but it's still, again, it's still just kind of like, you're just laying down, man. Like you're laying down with your eyes closed. Like you just, you can't be doing anything useful. Like, you know, you have all these things you should be doing. And, you know, the argument of it is you can get yourself out of bed and use and crank some stimulants and you'll be just fine and you'll be able to do it. Um, so it's hard to talk people out of it. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard to talk people out of stuff when I say, well, you know, the biggest impact of it, you know, it's all this disease risk. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you're going to die, you're going to drop, you're going to die 12 to 14 years mm. sooner. Mm. Um, you know, if you do shift work, if you're chronic insomnia or you chronically use sleep drugs, um, you're going to, you know, have a higher risk of obesity, diabetes, any implant, like neurological decline, like everything, like every Neolithic disease you can possibly think of. But when you're 25, 35, it's hard to motivate people around that. Yeah. So when I work with the younger generations, I just, I just make it all about performance because mm-hmm. that is something measurable. And now that we have, uh, we have a lot, you know, the, the one good thing about all the sort of gadgets and wizardry around all the wearable stuff is that, you know, we do have some better metrics on performance and, you know, now people, you know, any, any private client I work with, it's about performance. Like I don't really work with sick people. So, to, you know, I mean, some of them have some, minor chronic things going on but mainly it's you know it's it's go-getters who you know kind of burned themselves out and they and they want to they want to keep performing good but they want to balance their life yeah or keep performing well and they want to balance their lives um and so that i think there's there's a growing population that understands it yeah. um and you know now there's a lot of books and there's a lot of people talking about it, a lot of podcasts a lot of lectures yeah so we're making a difference i think amazing did you see a shift? I remember an interview with Jonathan Haidt on Joe Rogan. He said there was this massive spike in depression and suicide, or, uh, people harming themselves right around 2009, 2010 when the iPhone came out. And you had mentioned social media a second ago. 
Do you see a correlation now between poor sleep or poor sleep habits and social media? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. So I actually did this, um, I think it's four, four days, uh, the four day lecture I did in Germany for, um, all of the, all of the teachers and all the faculty and all the, uh, administrative staff around the, the American school systems that are on the bases. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went there and I talked to them about, uh, adolescence and sleep for four days. And I did a, I did a bunch of research on that cause it wasn't, you know, wasn't my, uh, true area of expertise was in adolescence. Uh, so it's good. I got to learn a lot, but it was shocking. And this was a while ago. I mean, it's, I'm, I know it's worse now. This was probably six years ago or something, but you know, when kids, when kids go through adolescence, there's a phase shift. So we had the circadian rhythm that keeps us aligned. You know, the circadian rhythm is built into us. And then we use the sun is our cue to keep us aligned with the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and kids have this shift in their circadian rhythm <clears throat> during adolescence and it, and it shifts to the right, meaning that they feel like going to bed later and they feel like waking up later. Mm-hmm. Well, that's right around the time that they're starting high school, which is the earliest start time of any of, you know, K through 12 is the last four years. And so we're sleep depriving these kids like crazy. Right. Um, you know, to get, to get a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old kid up at five forty-five or six 30 in the morning and get them in school at seven because of their phase shift. That'd be the same as you and I going to sleep at, or that'd be the same as you and I going to work at like two or two or three o'clock in the morning. And then we expect <clears throat> them to work and we expect mm-hmm. them to learn. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not going to get any learning done until they wake up. So they're just kind of grinding through their days until they gradually wake up yeah so so we're we're screwing them over there already and you know and then we have this constant need to get every kid into ivy league school or something so everybody has to have the gpa and take these ap courses and all this so the kids are doing homework really late drive until they go to sleep so their brains all wound up they don't get great sleep anyway then they get up too early but when they they talked about what they called recreational media which was computers, televisions, and iPhones or smartphones, whatever. And th- again, this was six years ago. I know it's worse today. The average, the average kid in America spent more time on more time on recreational media than they spent sleeping. They were only sleeping about uh, six and a half to six, at 6.7, I think, um, hours of sleep. And they were spending like an average of eight hours a day on recreational media. Now, to be fair, that included them doing their homework on their computers. Okay. But, um, but still, it's like um, we've really lost the plot when we're spending more time looking at something like this than we are sleeping. Um, and, you know, this, that, that same thing has happened to adults and it's gotten worse and worse, uh, especially now that there's this constant news feed and obviously, you know, there's a, there's a hell of a lot of, um, I don't know, unrest around political and news things right now. And so people are constantly scrolling this stuff. And then the other thing that interferes with sleep besides just 
you know, the physical action of looking at things and putting the light in your eyes is like what you're doing to your brain. So you're stimulating your amygdala, which is like telling you that there's stress, you know, that there's danger out there, which is releasing stress hormones, which is making you feel more alert and more awake, which is good for you during the day, but it's really bad for you when you're trying to go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, you know, and then when you don't get, when you, when you go to, when you go to bed with high stress hormones, you don't sleep as well. And when you don't get enough sleep, that causes you to produce more stress hormones. Because like, if you think about it, the entire point, the entire reason that I would go to sleep tonight, you know, you're born into this contract. You don't get, there's no negotiation here, right? You're born, as soon as you're born, you're guaranteed that you're going to die, right? You're born into that contract. Nobody's ever gotten out of this alive. Uh, so you're, you're born into the contract that you're going to die and you're born into a contract that it takes about eight hours to recuperate from being awake for 16 hours. That's how this machine is designed, man. You can do whatever you want to. You can put butter in your coffee and wear whatever kind of glasses you want and electrocute yourself in any way you want to, but it doesn't change that contract. And so if I need to sleep eight hours tonight in order to be prepared for tomorrow and my brain and body, they're going to use today, the 16 hours that I just finished with, that's going to be the template to figure out what needs to be improved on tonight, what needs to be repaired so that tomorrow I can do today again a little bit better, or at least as well, or with a little less damage, right? Well, if I don't sleep eight hours, what happens? Tomorrow still comes, right? If I sleep six hours instead of eight hours, tomorrow still comes. So what do I do tomorrow? I didn't recuperate enough. I didn't, I didn't repartition all my fuels, right? I didn't clear out all the waste products. I didn't fix all the damaged tissues. I didn't, I didn't set myself up to be able to handle the 16 hours I'm about to do. So what do I do? I use stress hormones. I produce more stress hormones and the stress hormones give me energy. They cause me to mobilize my fuel stores source. Uh, yeah. My fuel storages. And then they stimulate my brain. You know, norepinephrine is essentially adrenaline for the brain. Epinephrine is adrenaline. So I adrenalize my body and I amp myself up and I can get through the day. Well, the problem is that stress hormones are catabolic. So I'm using my body as a fuel source to fuel my body instead of using the fuel that I'm eating, right? And like the things I'm eating and drinking to give myself the nutritional and energetic base for getting to tomorrow, I'm using myself. Right. I don't, right? Instead of Instead of uh, getting amino acids from from meat, I'm getting it from my meat, right? I'm going to use <laughs> I'm going to use cortisol to break down my muscles, get rid of my muscle to give myself amino acids so that my cells can use the amino acids that they need. Yeah, right. And so it's a terrible way to get through life. And then I wake up tomorrow. I'm using stress hormones to keep me capable throughout the day. You know, stress hormones get this bad rap, right? It's that oh, stress is a bad thing. Well. You know, excessive stress is a bad thing, but stress hormones keep you alert in proportion to your environment. So when you wake up in the morning, if you don't use an alarm clock to wake you up, you can wake up in a cold, dark room, right? No sunlight is waking you up. What wakes you up in the morning? Stress hormones wake you up because they naturally come up through the day. That's what the circadian rhythm means. And at a certain level of stress hormone, that's enough to wake you up. Now, if nothing fancy happens and you get out of bed and you go lay on your couch and start reading a book, your stress hormones are about the same as if you woke up. Now, if you're reading that book and somebody crashes through the back of your house in their car, your stress hormones are going to go way through the roof, right? Right. So you have proportional stress hormones to what you're living through. Mm -hmm. 
maximum stress hormones or fight or flight, right? That's like, that's what fight or flight means. That's like the maximum amount of stress hormones you can possibly secrete. So when somebody crashes their car through the back of your house, you go into fight or flight, maximum stress hormones. It makes you superhuman, right? It causes you to dump all your glycogen in, into your bloodstream. So you have high blood glucose, your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up, your lungs dilate, you take in more air, your pupils dilate, take in a bigger field of vision, your capillaries squeeze down so that you don't, get, you don't bleed if you get cut, your pain threshold goes up, your reflexes get faster, you get stronger, more enduring, you're badass, right? You're like you're the best you you're ever going to be. Only problem is you're using your body as a fuel source <laughs> yeah. to get out of that. Right. Right. So you're just, you're completely eating yourself. And you know, things like digestion and, you know, liver function and kidney function and immune function, sexual reproduction, prefrontal cortex, thinking higher orders, all of that's gone during fight or flight because none of that stuff matters. The only thing that matters is getting away from the threat. So if you get away from the threat, then you can settle down and start fixing everything. But until you get away from that tiger, it doesn't matter if you can fight off an infection. Right. Right. So everything goes away. Now, the exact opposite of that is deep sleep. Deep sleep stages three and four slow wave sleep cycles. That first deep sleep cycle you go into, that's the most anabolic time in your life. And it's where the stress hormones are the lowest. So stress hormones are catabolic. Things like testosterone, DHEA, DHT, IGF-1, growth hormone, thyroid. These are all anabolic hormones. They're causing you to repair. Obviously, when you work out, you don't get stronger when you work out you get weaker when you work out right you damage yourself you if you work out hard enough you actually rupture muscle cell right you're you're actually breaking up muscle cells you're killing cells that have to be rebuilt mm -hmm. and they're being rebuilt while you're asleep and again they're using today as the template if i lift 400 pounds today and i was really only technically capable of lifting 395 pounds and i damaged myself now, the ideal would be I go to sleep and I repair, then tomorrow I can do 400 pounds and not damage myself. Mm -hmm. But because I want to get stronger, I'm going to lift 405 tomorrow and I'm going to damage yeah. myself again and I'm going to chase that up, right? Yeah. So that's the game. But if you don't get that deep sleep, you don't get better, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You just damaged yourself and then yeah. you don't get enough sleep and you say, well, I'm going to go to the gym anyway. And you're like, I don't know why I'm not making any gains because <laughs> you aren't repairing, man. Right, like right. You're, just, you're just doing the breakdown part. And then the same thing is true for cognitive, right? So REM sleep is when our brains are getting a lot better, right? So in the deep sleep, we're flushing out of the waste products, all the astrocytes, the cells in our brain, they shrink down, they allow fluid to go through and it gets rid of the waste products. And we can start replenishing nutri uh, nutritional deficits and we can start rebalancing neurotransmitters up in our brain and it causes, and it's also when we like emotionally categorize things that have happened to us during the day, we'll make sense out of them, put them where they go, We'll take things from our short-term memory to our long-term memory and we'll form durable tracks between that new information and old information. And then we can work with it and we really know it. And we can look at it from different angles and we're, we're actually smarter and we're better able to handle that stuff. And this is the same thing with, for, with muscle memory. If you're learning a sport, or if you're learning how to type or learning an instrument, any of that stuff, like you're getting better at all that stuff while you're asleep. And if you don't get enough sleep, as I said, you do it routinely. You think you did like, you don't feel like you're tired. It's like I'm waking up. I have the stress hormones that are waking me up and feel making me feel better. And so I feel like I'm doing just fine because my body has adjusted this circadian rhythm to give me more stress hormones in the, in the morning to wake up with 
because I'm, I'm not getting enough sleep and, and my body recognizes they're not getting enough sleep. So they're going to get more stress hormones. And I'm going to wake up in the morning feeling just as good as if I would have gotten the right amount of sleep. So I think, and then, it, and then it's the self-propagating downward spiral. My stress hormones have to be higher today because I didn't sleep well, which means I'm going to be going to bed with higher stress hormones, which means I'm not going to sleep as well, which means I'm going to have to produce more stress hormones for the next day. And then I'm just going to keep tracing my stress hormones up. My performance is going to keep getting worse. I'm going to keep getting fatter, dumber, colder, and slower. And that is really what aging is, right? If you could repair 100%, if I went to bed tonight and I could repair every single thing that I've done to myself today, I would wake up exactly the same tomorrow as I woke up today. So I wouldn't have aged. And when we're kids, we see this. Kids get better when they sleep, right? One thing, they sleep more, but they get better. You wake up, you can see your kids getting taller sometimes and you can hear them getting smarter. You can like get, see them getting more coordinated, more athletic and all that stuff because they're actually improving. And then at some point in our life, you know, plateaus and then it starts going the other way. Mm. And really, if you could repair at 100% every night, you would never age. Um, so just imagine voluntarily taking away 25% of that repair. Wow. You're sleeping six hours instead of eight. You're choosing to age 25% faster. And that's exactly wow. what you're doing. And there's no way to argue that. There's zero argument on that. You're choosing to age 25% faster. That's a pretty hard hitting way to say it. I, I appreciate yeah. that. Like the no bullshit approach to that. Doc, what is your like sleep for dummies? So people are listening to this like, okay, cool. I get it. I get the science, but bro, I can't, I can't fucking sleep. Like I, I lay my head down. What, what do you want me to, like, what do you want me to do other than take your supplement? Yeah. So, all right. So when I, when I work with clients, I say, we know the ideal, right? We don't know it right off the bat for you, but we can come pretty close. We can do a bunch of lab tests. We can do metabolomics and you can do all your serum markers and we can do your genetics and epigenetics and we can like we can get we can come pretty close to knowing what would be the ideal life for you to have the ideal performance that you want and live the ideal lifestyle you want and then there's reality right there are things that get in between you getting to that goal in between there is where we supplement to include things like my supplement or gadgets or you know whatever yeah. little tricks biohacks if you want to call them that i i despise that name but yeah. this isn't about me um so like in there we supplement so how do we get close to the ideal well the good thing about sleep is that the research is not controversial unlike nutrition and exercise where everybody has their own opinion sleep research is really consistent everybody needs eight hours of sleep okay You'll hear the argument, oh, no, I read about these genetic super sleepers and blah, blah, blah. They only need four to five hours of sleep, six hours of sleep. Not true. What it showed is what that research has shown is that there are people who don't suffer nearly as much as the average person by depriving themselves of sleep, but they're still not ideal on that amount of sleep. But if you're somebody who could genetically get away with five hours of sleep and it made you 10% worse, well, you're getting an extra three hours on your competition. You're only losing 10%. Good investment. Yeah, go ahead. And you'll probably be a more successful person. So it gets romanticized. But nobody's going to live their ideal on less than roughly eight hours of sleep a night. And that's kind of plus or minus 30 minutes. And if you work out super hard, if you run a marathon, ultra marathon, do something super intense one day, you need more sleep that night. That's no, you know, no big surprise there. If it's meant to repair 
what you're doing today, the more damage you do today, the more sleep you need. And if you lay around your couch and watch television all day, you might be able to sleep seven hours and feel just fine, right? Sure. But roughly it's about eight hours of sleep a night. So there's a ton of stuff out there about sleep hygiene and all these different ways to do all those things. I break it down. It's funny you said sleep for dummies. I've never thought of it that way, but it really is kind of what I do. So um, the way I teach this is I say, all you have to do is imagine what people did a thousand years ago. Before electricity, right? Just think about how we evolved. I mean, this this body that we're in is at least 200,000, maybe even 300,000 years old. Meaning that, you know, if a baby was born from 300,000 years ago today, it would grow up to be exactly like us. There'd be no difference. It's exactly the same body. So we evolved over millions of years to be on this planet, to eat a certain way and sleep a certain way and move and exercise a certain way. And we, and we're in train with the planet. We're part of the planet, but at some point we just decided, yeah, we're too smart for all that. Thanks for the ride. We got it from here. We're going to do whatever the hell we want to now. We make it light when it's dark and dark when it's light and cold when it's hot and hot when it's cold. We're going to eat shit that has nothing to do with food. And we're just going to do whatever we want because we're smart. Right. Obviously, it has some consequences. Yeah, uh, you think? <laughs> there's some consequences to that way of thinking. So, uh, so, so what I tell people is like, it's like, okay, there are only a couple of things. There's three things that go into sleep hygiene. And you, can, and you can go get your Google on and impress yourself with a million different variations of like how to do this thing, but it's really simple. We have some nerve cells in the back of our eyes that sense blue light. They have nothing to do with vision. Most blind people have this, which is why they can stay in train to, to the um, seasons as well. They have nothing to do with vision. All they do is they sense blue light. When blue light decreases, it fires a pathway, goes back through our brain. It's really circuitous way. And it goes to a gland in the back of our brain called the pineal gland. That secretes a hormone called melatonin. Most people have heard of this. Melatonin, however, does not make you sleep. Melatonin initiates about 100 different cascades that change all sorts of brain chemistry that over the course of about three hours makes you feel really sleepy and feel like, make you feel like going to sleep because all of these changes have happened over three hours. Now, the other thing that happened to our ancestors, they didn't have electricity. So when the lights went, when the sun went down, it got dark. We are a very visual animal. About 85% of the sensory in our brain is dedicated to our vision. This is what we do. We are, we see the world. We don't smell the world. We don't taste the world. We don't feel the world. We see the world. So when the light goes down, we can't see very well. We're not the greatest damn predator in the world anyways. Like we're pretty pathetic. If you think about it, like, if we don't have you know, tools and weapons, like we can't fight off a mad raccoon, really. Like we're, <laughs> we're pretty weak. We're pretty pathetic animals. Um, so taking away our visual acuity is a big deal for us because we're already not very capable of fighting anything off. Right. We have to be smarter than other things and we have to be able to see it long before it's getting to us. So what we did as a species is like we found shelters. We found caves and rocks to hide under and hollowed out trees and we built shelters and all this other stuff a place for us to tuck away when it got dark. And, you know, once we learned about fire, we used the fire a little to keep us warm and a little fire a little to keep off, you know, ward off predators. And now we can see even less. If you've ever sat around a campfire, realize that little bit of yellow and red light flashing in your eyes takes away about 90% of the vision that you have. And you've already lost 90% of your vision when the sun went down. Mm. So you can't really see anything. And so there's not a lot of stimulation in our brain. And the other thing that happens when the sun goes down before we had HVAC is it gets colder. 
And so your body temperature drops down. That's all there is to sleep. All there is, right? So sun, blue light goes down, melatonin shoots off, right? Starting, that increases. That's the starter pistol. It initiates all the cascades of changes. One of those cascades of changes is the production of a GABA peptide or a, a neuropeptide called GABA, G-A-B-A, gamma aminobutyric acid. What that does is it slows down our neocortex, right? That wrinkly part of our brain slows it down, makes us pay less attention, right? If you think about when you're asleep, your eyes still work, you're still working, you know, like you, right? I can turn on the light and wake somebody up because their eyes are still working. I can yell at them, wake them up because their ears are still working. Like it's still there. We're just not paying attention to it. Mm. And that's part of getting ready for sleep. So when our ancestors took what the light went away, started firing the melatonin, we also withdrew, didn't really get engaged in the world. There wasn't much to stimulate us, wasn't much to keep our brain engaged. And we slowly paid less and less attention to what was going on around us until the point where our brain essentially shut off and we fell asleep. Yeah. And, and actually stage one sleep, there's four stages, well, five and with REM. So there's stages one, two, three, and four, and then there's REM. Stage one sleep is defined by a semi-awareness of your of your sensory so like when you're laying in the when you're laying in another room and you hear people out talking in another room or television going in the other room and you're kind of aware of it and you're kind mm -hmm. of not you can feel that it's slightly altered that's stage one mm -hmm. you're still you're still capable of hearing you're just not paying attention so the sun went down melatonin fire gab increased our brain essentially starts slowing down. Our body temperature goes down. We lay down on the ground. We go to sleep. We sleep throughout the night and we wake up right around the time the sun's coming up because that's how we've been trained ourselves. And that's how long we've, we've evolved to be on the planet to sleep about the same time as the sun's down or in the, in the summers, obviously, it's, it's a little longer. Um, or the nights are a little shorter and then the winters of the nights are a little longer, but it, it's taken us about three hours to feel really sleepy. Mm. So if the night's really short, like we've studied hunter gatherers today, uh, and there's a surprising number of these people, right? I would have thought maybe there's a few hundred, but there's like 30 to 40,000 people that still live like hunter gatherers have never experienced electricity. Wow. Uh, like tribes all over the world. And they go study these people. Uh -huh. They just throw down this animal, uh, animal pellet uh what do you pelt is that what you whatever yeah, yeah they just throw this animal skin down on the ground and the whole family just lays down on top of each other and they go to sleep um but if the summer nights are really short they don't they don't wake up before the sun wakes up or before the sun comes up they wake up an hour and a half after the sun comes up and they sleep about seven and a half to eight hours a night um so and then and then the winter they'll wake up long before the sun comes up you know, if they're, if they're far enough North, most of them still live around the equator, but there's some that were slightly up. So anyway, that's all there is a sleep hygiene. Now, the other way to look at that is, is you know, so there's three things, you got to decrease the blue light, you got to decrease the stimulation mm. in your brain, right? And then you got to drop your body temperature. The other way to think about that is little kids. If you've ever had little kids or if you've ever been a little kid, you remember there's this protracted bedtime period. You don't take a three-year-old boy who's slamming trucks together and throw him in his bed and turn off the light and walk out, right? <laughs> wouldn't work. Why wouldn't it work? He's not ready to go to sleep. Yeah. Well, we need the same thing. We just don't think we do. Um, so, you know, the reason we say, okay, quit roughhousing, 
right? We're going to do puzzles. We're going to dim the lights down. We're going to turn off the loud television. We're going to have some music playing in the background. Whatever. We're going to start calming them down. We're going to start decreasing the stimulation. Hopefully we're going to decrease the light a little bit too. And then we're going to put them in the bathtub. Why do we put them in the bathtub? Because nobody takes 99 degree baths. We put a kid in the 85 degree bath, 88 degree bath, something like that. So we're dropping their body temperature a degree. Yeah. And then we put them in these really comfortable pajamas and we powder them up to take sensation array away from their skin. There's no tags. There's nothing poking at them, right? We put them in these nice soft beds. And then we read them a story, ideally a story that they already know. And a story that has like a rhythmic cadence to it, like Dr. Seuss. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam. I mean, right? This flow, the kids already know the words. They don't, they don't need to hear the book. It's, it's, we're calming them down. We're decreasing their sensation, we're making them feel warm and comfortable. We're taking, away, we're taking away sensory. We're taking away stimulation. And then you can turn off the light and you can walk out of the room and, they, and right, let them go to sleep. It's the same thing. That's sleep hygiene. Same thing we're doing to ourselves. Now, you don't have to wear onesies. You can if you want. But, uh, you know, that same concept, you know, because the other thing I'll do is like, people will say, well, you know, I read all the stuff and then I, I, I learned about the blue light. So I wear the blue blocking glasses and I put the F lux on my computer, block the blue there. And then I worked at my computer until 9.59 and I got in bed and at 10.15, I was still awake. Yeah. Like, no shit, Sherlock. Like that you didn't do any of the other stuff to get ready. So you, like, you know, you can stimulate yourself past the blue light thing. Right. So you can wear blue blocking glasses and go out to a nightclub, you know, with loud music and your friends and watching television and trying to pick up girls or whatever. And like, you're not going to get sleepy. Sure. You block the blue light. You've started some cascades, but you're going to stimulate yourself past it. So you can overcome the effect of GABA. Um, so you have to you have to decrease the stimulation. If you're going to watch television, uh, go ahead. Like, I'm not going to tell anybody you can't watch television, but don't watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Silence of the Lambs, stuff like that, right? Like watch something that's not going to be eating up your brain, right? And if you're going to do work, it better be like low, important, non-stressful work. Because if you just, uh, just simply sitting here and thinking about the things that could go wrong, if you're doing something important and you know you could fail on it, doing that a couple hours before bed, that's raising your stress hormones. And even if you're able to fall asleep, your sleep quality isn't going to be as good. And then you turn the temperature down in your house. I'm like, that's it. That's really all there is to it. It's not, I mean, it's not super complex stuff. Everything you didn't know about sleep, huh, gang, right? This is, this is fascinating and, and hang with it till the end. Uh, we, we get into some really interesting stuff towards the end of the conversation as well. And true story, uh, Dr. Parsley and I hung out, or we stopped recording and talked for another hour straight about health, about men's work. I love this guy. He's fascinating. Please go visit our sponsor, zensquatch.com. Use the code uncivilized. When you check out, you'll get 20% off and free shipping and curednutrition.com forward slash uncivilized with the code uncivilized. Zen Squatch Cured, thank you guys for sponsoring me. Thank you for helping me out. Thank you all for listening to this and getting this to be a household name. I love you. All right, back to Dr. Parsley. I appreciate that. I think it's going to just, that's going to help a lot of people who I think are overcomplicating it. If I could take five more minutes and ask a question, since I'm here in Colorado and CBD, CBN and marijuana are now like basically available at Seven Eleven. Right. A lot of people in my world and who contact me are saying, but this is what I need to sleep. Right. Do you have a thought on using not, I don't know. I want to use the word externalities, 
but specifically that strain of supplementation, is it hurting sleep? Because what I hear from a lot of guys is I need this to fall asleep. Right. Because I can't get rid of the monkey mind in the day and all the <laughs> challenges. Do you, do you have a medical thought on that? Yeah. So, you know, the, the first thing I'd, I'd say to these people, um, and, and I hear a lot of this too, and I have for many, many years. I'm sure. Because um, I, you know, I was a physician in California for a long time. We've had medicinal marijuana for decades. Um, first thing I tell them is like, well, uh, your sleep problems, I can guarantee you, I, w- without knowing anything about you, I can guarantee you that your sleep problems are not from a CBD deficiency or a THC deficiency. <laughs> you know, those aren't truly supplements, right? Supplements right, right. Are something that should be in your body and it's not. <laughs> There's a deficient amount of it, so you need to supplement it. So, you know, you don't, you know, CBD is not a normal thing to be putting in your body and neither is THC. Now, with that said, um, I don't, I wouldn't begrudge anybody's uh, plan to, to get themselves asleep. Sure. One thing I will say um, is that when I do work with clients, the most common thing that I that I work with with people who actually have difficulty sleeping. Now, most of the time, it's a prioritization. Mm-hmm. If people are convinced that sleep is the most important thing to them, ninety nine percent of the time they'll figure out a way to get good sleep. Okay, that that has to be done on your own, mm-hmm. but go to something like Google scholar or PubMed mm-hmm. and just put in sleep and anything else you care about sleep and business, sleep and money, sleep and parenting, sleep and performance, sleep and strength, sleep and speed, like, I don't care, whatever sleep and whatever you care about read until you're scared. Um, because there's the data is unequivocal. Like you will, you will be, you you will not be as good at anything within a fit with, uh, insufficient sleep. Um, and it is the, and if you want to really scare yourself, look at sleep in any disease you can possibly think about because right. it, it accelerates, uh, accelerates when you're going to get to that disease. It accelerates the course of that disease. You will live fewer years and you will be unhealthier during the years that you are alive. Um, and that's again, unequivocal. So if that motivates you to do that. So anyway, sleep, the prioritization is the first thing. Now, um, Unfortunately, that prioritization can sometimes scare the crap out of people. So uh, that now I've made their stress worse, and maybe they weren't sleeping because of their stress. So I do, ha- I do have a PDF on my work on my website. It would take me an hour to explain it, so I'll, I I can't do that right now. But it's basically the purpose of that is uh, setting up an adult sleep ritual in order to get rid of stress while you're sleeping. Okay. Um, and you can, and so that's at docparsley.com forward slash stress. Okay. You can, you can just download that PDF. Um, and that's, you know, it's a little workbook thing. It'll take you, you know, a few hours to kind of set up and probably a few weeks to master, uh, but you'll be able to sleep through. And it seems simple. It seems overly simplistic, but it's the most powerful tool I've ever come across. And I don't even know if, I don't even know if I came up with it or I got it from somebody else. I can't remember this stage it's been so long but it's really really powerful um so to answer the cbd thc stuff uh anything that you put in your body that doesn't ordinarily go in your body that's helping you sleep is some sort of trick right some sort of biological engagement like the sleep drugs they're not gaba they act like gaba but they work a hundred times more powerfully than gaba which seems like that'd be great hundred times more but there's a sequelae to that go figure 
your body evolves to have a certain amount of GABA for a reason. And so you have this super, this super effective GABA and it causes some problems. Um, so I'm not a big fan of anything that's like tricking your body to go to sleep. But if you do need it temporarily, if you're jet, you know, if you're talking about jet lag or just like post divorce or bankruptcy or like some really stressful, yeah, okay, go ahead and use whatever it's going to, whatever you're going to use. If, if you have an exit strategy, yeah. then fine. Now, what we know about THC is that it helps with the subjective experience of sleep. So people who, who use THC think they slept really well. According to our studies, when we're watching them on a sleep study, they don't sleep that well. Mm -hmm. uh, now, they, they don't sleep nearly as badly as people who take sleep drugs, like you know, Z drugs and, uh, and then the benzodiazepines, which were before the sleep drugs, things like Valium and Xanax. Um, those cause more sleep disturbance than THC and alcohol causes more sleep disturbance than THC. Problem with THC is that the efficacy of it diminishes super quickly. It's something called tachyphylaxis. So like your response to it uh, diminishes really quickly. And over the course, it was either like only a month or two months, uh, then the amount of THC needed to get the same subjective experience of sleep went up 10 times. So tenfold. Oh, wow thousand percent and thc has some deleterious effects to your sleep architecture so if you're having deleterious effects to the sleep architecture if you go up tenfold in your dosage you have 10 times the sleep disturbance mm. even though you have the same subjective experience of sleep and i can't remember how far that went out but it was a long way so it kept it kept going up tenfold over a while cbd uh, does not affect sleep architecture as much. It still affects it, which means that it's like diminishing the amount of deep sleep you get or diminishing the amount of the REM sleep you get. Uh, CBD does both. THC does both. It diminishes both, um, but only by about 20%, which is way better than alcohol or sleep drugs. Um, unfortunately, the truth with CBD, like we have the cannabinoid receptors in our brain they were actually they were actually found because of cannabis, right? So they were doing research with cannabis and they found these receptors and they were called cannabinoid receptors. Well, then it turns out there's like hundreds, if not thousands, of these cannabinoid receptors. So everybody's brain is different. There's like huge genetic variation in, in these cannabinoid receptors. And the unfortunate reality is that only about 50% of the people will get a benefit from taking CBD. Gotcha. And those 50%, there'll be pretty large variations in how much they get. Like some people can take a little bit of CBD and like, man, feel great and they sleep great. Yeah. And if they need something to help them sleep, like I said, they but they have an exit strategy for it um, and they need something, then it's a pretty good sleep drug. It's pretty good sleep aid in that respect. Um, but it's not as good as not using anything, right? Um, okay. So like, you know, something and not to pitch my supplement sure. specifically, but things, things like my supplement, like all we're putting in there is things that are already in your body. Things that, things that are important to have, to have the right nutrients in your brain in order to produce the right neurotransmitters and do the right physiological shifts in order to, to keep you asleep, like to help you fall asleep and to keep you asleep throughout the night. Cause there's a lot of changes, man. I mean, people think of and people say, what happens when you're asleep? I go, well, what happens when you're awake? <laughs> a million things happen when a I'm lot awake. of things yeah well, a million things are happening when you're asleep too it's, like, it's not it's not a steady state it's not just like oh you click off and then you click on like 
it's changing every second. It's wildly different throughout the night. It, your brain is super active. Your hormones are super active. Your immune system is super active. Digestion is really active. Like everything, your endocrine system, everything is cranking while you're asleep. Just your awareness of everything is gone. So you think you're off, but you're not. Like you're, there are plenty of times when you're, like your brain is more active than it would be if you were awake, but you're just not remembering it, not sensory sensing it. So there's so many things going on that, you know, to do any kind of trick, I mean, that's what the pharmaceutical industry does, right? It's like, uh, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, well, well, like this guy's in chronic pain and we know that like these couple of icosanoids lead to uh, like the sensation of pain and heat. So we're going to block those two. And then they're not going to feel pain and heat. All right, we still have the inflammation. And then you look at the the you know, the chart of the icosanoids, and there's like fifteen thousand icosanoids, like all and these downstream. And oh, we blocked two of them. Right. All right. What about the other fourteen thousand nine hundred ninety-eight? Right. Like those are probably important too. Right. Um, and so like there's just there's there's this idea in the pharmaceutical industry, like GABA slows down the brain. Well, one GABA molecule binds one GABA receptor and it pulls in and it has an effect of one GABA. Right benzodiazepine binds a GABA receptor, pulls it in and has GABA effect of 10. Mm. A Z drug, Ambien, Lunesta, they bind, pull it in, have a GABA effect of 100. Mm. Like, oh, it's 100 times more powerful. It's got to be better, right? Like, mm. like, if nature needed it to be 100 times more powerful, that's what we would have done. Right? <laughs> and, and so we didn't need that. And so now you've done that and you've done a trick that makes people feel like they're asleep, but they're not. They're just unconscious. Like I do, I do sleep studies on the seals all the time. They come back, they weren't sleeping. They're unconscious for eight hours, but there was no sleep involved. They weren't getting REM sleep. They weren't getting stages one, two. Well, they're getting stage two, which is what we call transitional sleep. They come back 99.9% .9 stage two sleep. So they weren't getting any deep sleep. They weren't getting any REM sleep. They're sleeping enough to stay alive, essentially. Wow. And so all the sleep drugs, all the sleep aids, they all have some component of that. Okay. Alcohol completely destroys deep sleep and yeah. messes up REM sleep quite a bit. Sleep drugs completely destroy REM sleep and mess up deep sleep quite a bit. So you take sleep drugs with alcohol, you get no sleep. Wow. Uh, you know, things like antihistamines. So there's, so there's no, there's no, um, there's no molecule. There's no neurotransmitter that grows and makes you go to sleep. You know, that, it, uh, that not, not grows. What's the word I'm for that increases right. and makes you go to sleep. Um, the actual, I mean, and it's rhetorical and dumb, but the actual definition of, of being asleep physiologically is the absence of being awake. <clears throat> so you have all these chemicals in your brain and body that make you behave in the way that we perceive as being awake, what we call being awake. So thinking and seeing and reacting and paying attention to your environment, moving in a certain way, we, we call that awake. And there's all these neurotransmitters that we call wake promoting neurotransmitters and they're keeping you awake. When those go away, we can, we're asleep, right? So things like uh, diphenhydramine or uh, Benadryl, or people take that, and like Tylenol PM, and like all of the, any kind of PM drug, that's what it has. It has essentially Benadryl in there. And it's an antihistamine. Well, histamine is a weight-promoting neurotransmitter. So unfortunately, it's not, it's not actually decreasing uh, histamine. It's just binding to histamine, so histamine can't do its job. So then your brain perceives that there's not, uh, 
as much histamine around as there should be. Right. So then you produce more histamine. Right. Right. And now when you take away the Benadryl, well, now you have super concentrations of histamines <laughs> and you can't sleep because like you've built up, you've, you've enhanced your histamine effect. Um, and it, you know, and, and that's, and you're just dealing with weight, one weight promoting, weight promoting neurotransmitters. Now it's out of balance with the other 17 weight promoting transmitters. And now you get all sorts of different changes in your brain. And like, you know, you can see it in people when they take things like uh, Benadryl, their personality changes, like their thought process changes over the course of a couple of weeks. You'll just be like, you don't quite seem like you, you're seeming a little weird, like a little off to me. Um, and they'll report these really weird dreams and kind of this kind of fogginess between what's real and what's not in the mornings. And, um, you know, so, it, it, you know, the short of it, I know you asked me about CBD and THC, but like, it's really all, all sleep drugs, all sleep aids, anything that's a physiologic trick yeah. to get you past the normal things that, you know, it's just like, you know, it's just like eating something that you weren't really designed to eat. Right. It's like, you know, you you can in today's day and age, you can get all sorts of powders and potions and chemicals and shakes and mixes, and you can be a vegetarian or vegan if you want to. You couldn't have done that a thousand years ago, right? Right. You know, your body didn't evolve to do that, but like, there's all sorts of tricks now to be able to do it. That doesn't make it a good idea just because you can do it, though. Right. Yeah, you can't cheat nature. <laughs> I think we can we can kind of end on that. That. Yeah. It, it it's interesting to me just culturally that we have a problem sleeping. It's like we have a problem breathing. We have a problem sleeping. Like this is as biological units that that shouldn't happen. Yeah. And the really interesting thing is, um, I mean, (laughs) I mean, I, I, I find it really amusing that we're the smartest animal on the planet because we're so dumb. (laughs) We do do such dumb shit to ourselves. We're really it. Like we're the top. Like, You know, but I watch these deer out in my yard and I'm like, yeah, that's dumb. Like that's some dumb behavior right there. But I can't, uh, it's amazing that we are, that we're the shortest. That sounds, that seems really bad. But um, so the only animal on this planet that will deprive itself of sleep on purpose is this one. Like we're the only ones. The only other time that any other mammal on this planet is sleep deprived is if they're being preyed upon or if they're starving to death. Mm. so if if a deer or a moose or an elk or something is being tracked by wolves they will hardly sleep they're going to just keep going keep going and they're going to get the minimum amount of sleep they can because they don't want to get eaten right and what do you think is really high in them stress hormones really really high it's going to keep them awake in proportion to their environment their environment is dangerous they're going to keep going they're going to go as far as they can without sleep and they're either going to get away from the wolves or they're going to become so weak that they're going to get caught and and killed by the wolves right now they'll also do it when they're starving to death because if you're starving to death you have to be able to travel further Mm -hmm. and to find more food and then just like us you know we have this prefrontal cortex in our in our head that's the part you know the part like from the temples above my eyes and out to my forehead that's the prefrontal cortex and that's the what we call the executive function uh robert sapolsky the author of why zebras don't get cancer Mm. um he, the leading uh, stress uh, cortisol researcher in the world, he calls it the simulator, which I love. I love it. It's a great, great idea. You can sit here and you can think through anything without having to do it, right? And that's that's unique to us, right? Um, you know, I can ask you to do something really stupid, like, hey, why don't we go 
you know, ride motorcycles off my roof. You know, like you don't have to, you don't have to do it to know it's a dumb idea, right? Because you can just simulate it in your head. You're like, no, I'm, I don't, I'm good. I don't want to do that. It's a dumb idea, right? Or like you really feel like flipping off your boss or, you know, something like this. Like you can simulate it and go, nope, that's not going to work out the way I wanted it to. So like, I'm not going to do that. So we had this, but when the area of our brain that's most impacted by stress hormones is that. So if somebody's in a gunfight and you ask them their phone number, mm-hmm. probably all you're going to get is shot because um, they're like, they're not going to know their phone number, like Cause that part of the brain isn't working. That executive functioning isn't working. And if you think about it, like if you see, if, if you imagine your ancestor walking across, you know, what I don't know, walking across the Serengeti or something, seeing like a big cat uh, stripe pattern in his periphery, that's not a time to think. That's not a time to make plans, whatever. It's time to be super impulsive, right? Mm-hmm. Fight or flee. Obviously, you can't fight it, so you got to flee. How are you going to get away from it? And it's super impulsive. Um, and that's and that's the way we're meant to be, right? Where um, our so we have this prefrontal cortex makes us really smart. When that goes away, we do impulsive things, and that's good. When you're when you're uh, starving to death, mm-hmm. one of the impulsive things you want to do is you want to try things that you wouldn't ordinarily eat that. So that's what other animals do. So they'll go further, but they'll also go like closer to humans. They'll go down and eat out of people's trash cans, even though that would be risky behavior. It doesn't seem as risky when you're under the influence of stress hormones. And so those stress hormones keep them awake. Say, go further, get up earlier, go further, stay up later, go further, try novel things Mm. and trying those novel things they might find a new fuel source because their old fuel source might be dying out on the planet and then that species survives because they tried something novel that didn't kill them as opposed to trying something novel that was maybe poisonous to them and so we like you know we have that same type of thing in us and we will engage in more impulsive behavior when we're under stress Um, and then when we when we do sleep deprive ourselves because our stress hormones are high our brain believes that we're starving to death or we're under threat because it it has to make sense out of the environment. Why aren't we sleeping enough? And why are we getting up early and going to do stressful things? Well, we must be starving together. We must be under threat. Mm. So if we're starving to death, there's two things we need to survive famine. We need some energy right now, just glucose. And then we need to store some fat, right? Because who knows how long this is going to last. So we need fat, we need sugar. Mm. So in America, we just learn to fry some sugar and call that a donut. And like, that's what you eat in the morning when you're sleep deprived and your, your stress hormones are high. And that's what you feel like eating because your appetite is regulated while you're asleep too. When sure. you don't sleep well, you wake up with high stress hormones, your, your, your leptin and ghrelin and all, all of your uh, hormone sensitivity, all your appetite regulation is shifted and you feel like eating sugary fat things. And then you build, you know, you have a bunch of waste products left. Uh, primarily something called adenosine. Adenosine makes your brain feel tired. And in order to block adenosine, you can take caffeine in and caffeine blocks adenosine. So there you have the, you know, the, the post-industrial revolution breakfast of coffee and donuts. Right. Um, and it's and the it, cycle. Yeah. Right. And that's just the starvation cycle. Like, it's like any, uh, like if, if, uh, you know, deer that were starving to death or, any, anything that's starving to death, if they could eat freaking donuts, they would eat it too. If you fry them up with sugar, they'd be like, they need the same thing. They need fat and they need sugar. Yeah. Like whatever they could do to, to get the most energy possible. So it, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with discipline or willpower at that point. Like your right. brain has actually changed. Right. And uh, 
Yeah. And all, you know, willpower fatigues Mm -hmm. and, uh, and when you aren't sleeping well, you know, it fatigues a lot faster and then you can't hold on to the schedule you want. Can't do the things you want to do. You aren't working towards that ideal life. You know, that, that idea of life that, that you think is most likely to bring you happiness and fulfillment. You can't even get there. You can't get yourself to do the right things because you aren't, you know, you aren't getting enough sleep. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. And you're gonna and you're gonna die younger, you know. Increases yeah. increase, you know, one one night of you so you get six hours of sleep instead of eight hours of sleep. That two hours is different. We call that sleep restriction. One night of sleep restriction decreases testosterone by 30%, decreases insulin sensitivity by 15 to 30%, uh, decreases thyroid, decreases growth hormone, decreases DHEA, increases cortisol, increases epinephrine, norepinephrine, increases inflammation, increases oxidation. So you wake up a basket case. If you're pre-diabetic, you'll wake up diabetic. If you're if you're on the borderline of normal, you're going to wake up pre-diabetic. So you're essentially waking up as like a metabolic syndrome patient with high inflammation, high oxidation, poor insulin sensitivity, poor anabolic hormones, high catabolic hormones, just because you didn't sleep enough. And I can see this in your blood. I can test you and I can say, you didn't get enough sleep last night. Yeah. Right. Now you can do it with heart rate variability too. And if, if, if you have the time you want to yeah. talk yeah, about yeah, that, yeah. we could, we could do that too. I'd love to hear that. Cause I just got, I'm not wearing it cause it's, it's charging. But I got one of those little aura rings and it's telling me my HRV, but I don't know much about it. Preet's a good guy. And I know him. He's the founder of that. Uh, so I, I've been around him since he started that thing. It's a, and I'm really happy to see his success. He's doing great with that. Great wearable. Yeah. Um, that it's, it's my preferred one, but they don't make it in my size. So I have to wear it as a pinky ring. <laughs> and for whatever reason, like it just doesn't. I can't ever turn it off. Like I can't ever not realize I have that on. So I try to wear it at night when I'm sleeping and I'm fiddling with it all night, man. I just like I tried it for like two months. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know why I can't do it. Um, but that was a gen one, maybe the gen twos would be better because uh, I know they're thinner, they're a lot smaller. So maybe it wouldn't bother me. Some minute. Uh, so anyway, um, so, so I've been talking a lot about, um, fight or flight and stress hormones. Um, so that's that's really what we something we call sympathetic stimulation. So we have we have this we have this automatic nervous system in our brain uh, that we call autonomic because job security or like makes things sound a little confusing, but it really is just the automatic nervous system, right? So we have I have my peripheral nervous system, which is allowing me to talk and move my hands and you know my eye contact and all that stuff is coming from me choosing to move all that, and that's my peripheral nervous system. I have this autonomic nervous system that's split up into sympathetic and parasympathetic. And it's controlling things like my heart rate and my respiratory rate, my liver function, my kidney function, my blood pressure, all the things that I don't have to think about. I don't really have any conscious control over my blood pressure. Uh, if I did, then we wouldn't have blood pressure medications, right? I could just turn it, turn it down. So like that autonomic nervous system, that's controlling what's going on when I'm not thinking about it, when I'm asleep, when I'm awake, even if I am thinking about it, right? And I've told you that stress hormones speed things up. Now doing it catabolically, like I said, it's breaking, up, it's breaking down the organism to fuel the organism to speed things up. So it's, it's not super sustainable, but sympathetic tone, you can think of as stress tone, right? And, and by tone, I just mean like, uh, think of it like two uh, two sort of power grids. Uh, either one of them can power your body, and 
like the more one of them is on, that's more tone, right? So like think okay. about like an auditory tone or something like it's the nerves are firing more and the sympathetic tone is speeding things up. So when my sympathetic tone is high, like you're talking about fight or flight, my blood pressure is higher, my heart rate's higher, my muscle tension's higher. I'm, I'm speeding things up. Mm. Parasympathetic, we, so we, we call the sympathetic the fight or flight system, right? Because maximum, uh, maximum sympathetic tone is fight or flight. Maximum stress hormones is fight or flight. Minimum stress hormones, the exact opposite. And again, this is like the sleep. There's no sleep hormone. There's no sleep neurotransmitter to make you fall asleep. There's the absence of wake promoting. So parasympathetic is kind of the same way take away the stress hormones and then parasympathetic dominates and it then controls your organs in a different way. It controls the automatic functions in a different way. So we call the parasympathetic, the rest and digest and the sympathetic is the fight or flight. So when I was explaining fight or flight and how you're superhuman and I said, well, all these things aren't happening, right? Like you aren't digesting food, your liver's not processing, your kidney's not processing, you're not producing, you're not, uh, preparing for sexual reproduction. You're not producing anabolic hormones. You're not, your immune system isn't functioning. You aren't repairing damaged tissues. You aren't, you know, doing a lot of things with their brain that you ordinarily do. Um, so parasympathetic is when all that's being done maximally. So as you can imagine, as I was telling you, deep sleep is exactly the opposite of, of fight or flight. Deep sleep is maximum parasympathetic tone. So that's when everything is going, uh, that isn't going when you're in fight or flight and everything is going in fight or flight isn't happening. So, right. Your heart rate's lower, your blood pressure's lower, your respiration's lower, your pupils aren't dilated. You're, you know, exactly the opposite of fight or flight. So, um, when you wake up in the morning, well, it doesn't matter when you're asleep or when you're awake, but we'll talk about when you're awake, when you're awake, you have, uh, a certain amount of parasympathetic tone and a certain amount of sympathetic tone. Now you have this node in your heart that's going to fire your heart regardless of any hormones or nerve input. Okay. So you can take a heart out of some, out of a person and it will keep beating. If it has blood supply, this node in the heart, is going to boom, boom. It's slow, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to keep your heart beating at around 40 beats per minute. Mm. So when you're using your aura ring, if you see your heart rate, heart rate get down to 36 or 40, you know, like I was in some really deep sleep. I didn't have any stress hormones involved. Mm. If your lowest heart rate at night is 55, you probably have some stress hormones that, you know, would be good to remove while you're asleep. Like it'd be good to improve upon that. So when I'm awake, I have stress hormones because I'm alert in proportion to my environment, right? And sometimes my sympathetic hormones are going, my sympathetic tone to so the nerve tone of my sympathetic, which is set a lot by the hormones of stress hormones. Sometimes that sympathetic is going to cause my heart to beat faster than that node, mm. right? Because that's what it does, speeds it up. And then sometimes it's not my parasympathetics are going to rule it, which is essentially just the node itself. And so it's going to go slower. So if I have a heart rate of 60, my heart rate doesn't beat exactly on the second, right? Sometimes it's a little before the second, sometimes a little after the second. Mm -hmm. If it's being driven by my nervous system, 
by just one side of my nervous system, then I don't have a balance. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to have a heart rate variability, right? Okay. So if my parasympathetic fires at sometimes, which means it fires a quarter of a second after the second, and then my sympathetic does it the next time and it fires a quarter of a second before the second, then there's a lot of variability, right? I have a, I have a half a second variability from beat to beat. Mm. Like, that's a big variability. So that would probably be 100%, like 50% of the time, sympathetically it's going, 50% of the time it's just the node firing, it's parasympathetic. So there's a lot of variability. If my stress hormones take over, one thing, my heart rate's probably not gonna be 60, but it could be. Um, but if it's 60, it's being driven by the sympathetic tone, every beat, my AV node is never firing it. It's just boom, 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 boom. Always being done by the stress hormones, by the sympathetic tone. And so it is maybe right on the second, every second, which means I have no variability because I'm sympathetic dominant. You can also be parasympathetic dominant. It's way less common. Uh, and it, and that's usually a metabolic issue, uh, something that you probably need to work with uh, at least an exercise physiologist, if not a doctor on that. Um, there, there, are, there are some reasons for that, but the most common thing that reduces uh, heart rate variability is poor recovery. And poor recovery really just means an insufficient sleep and or insufficient nutrition, right? Because if, if you don't have the building blocks to repair, then you can't repair. So you have to have proper nutrition and proper rest. And if you do both of those things, you'll have high heart rate variability. If you wake up, so we, we like I already talked about that the whole purpose of me sleeping tonight is to repair from today and to prepare for tomorrow so that tomorrow I can do what I did today a little bit better. If I don't get enough sleep, then I'm using stress hormones to get through tomorrow. And I've, I've, I've essentially wiped out the whole purpose for sleep. And I'm, when I'm running off the stress hormones tomorrow, I'm going to have a very low heart rate variability mm -hmm. because my stress hormones are driving my, my wakefulness because I didn't, I didn't repair enough. Right. And which means I'm not going to, I'm not going to repair enough today either. Uh, but if I have low heart rate variability, when I wake up in the morning, that means I didn't repair mm. and, or I have too many stress hormones, which means I shouldn't go work out. Right. Because if I go work out, I'm just going to do more damage to a system that isn't repaired already. So it's a good tool to tell you like when you should be training. Now, when I say work out, I'm talking about taxing yourself. I'd never say that you shouldn't be active. Right. Sure. So you, you can go be active, but it shouldn't be something challenging. It shouldn't be something that's going to break you down. It should be something that's going to help you move. It's going to help you get increase your blood flow. It's going to help you, you know, wait. Uh, you know, increase your circulation, get rid of some waste product, uh, get the mobility going, get some fuel, fuels moving around in your body, get you more alert and awake, uh, you know, lubricate your joints and all that other stuff. So you can do, you can do activity, but you shouldn't be doing like, you know, jujitsu or CrossFit or, you know, sprints or anything like that. Like you should just be doing movement. Um, and, you know, and for people who aren't really, uh, people who aren't really fit, you know, when that when I have people start working with me and they, they don't really have any fitness routine, there's absolutely nothing wrong with just being active. Mm -hmm. uh, you can be really you can be really slim and look great and feel great and be really capable and not be 
exercising at all, just being active. Because, uh, I mean, you know as well as I do that body composition is by and large driven by a diet, right? So diet and sleep, because it's like that's the hormones, balancing out the hormones. Um, you know, the muscle mass is going to come from resistance training, but like your ability to move through space, if you have adequate muscles and the ability to do your life, if you don't, if you don't have a strenuous lifestyle, you can, you can be active and be really fit and be really metabolically strong and be really hard to kill and live a long time and have a happy life and not truly be working out. So to say, right. Like, you know, I'm getting after it now. I, I personally think you should add some strength training in there, but my point is like when people aren't really in, in great shape, uh, they're going through a rough period or they've just, you know, fallen off for a while. It's like nothing wrong. Just park, you know, make sure you park your car at least three or four blocks from your office, right. take the stairs, uh, you know, bring your lunch so that you can get a short lunch and then, you know, get some stretching in or get a little nap in or something like that. Um, mow your own lawn, wash your own car, clean your own house. Yeah. And it's amazing. Like you can be a pretty, you can be a pretty damn capable uh, person like that, you know. And and uh, and for millennia, uh, people did that. You know, just they. No one. I don't think the cavemen got out and like lifted heavy rocks or uh, said, "I'm going to run around that mountain and back." You know, <laughs> right. like, like, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. I mean, and I'm not. You know, I'm not telling people not to have goals or ambition. I'm just saying, you know, like uh, you. You know, I, and I've been there myself, right? Like I've I've been completely obsessed with working out to where I feel like if I don't work out one day, I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm shrinking, or I'm losing muscle tone, I'm getting fat, and I'm like, of course, it's all ridiculous, you know, mindset stuff. Um, so, like, I yeah, you know, I just I just try to encourage people to. It's like, look, you know, it takes um, it takes three or four days to truly recover from a hard workout, and it takes three or four more days to detrain from that. So if you, if, you know, if you get a couple of bad nights sleep and say, well, I'm not going to work out tomorrow. Like, I'm just going to, like, I'm just going to go in. I'm going to you know be active. I'm going to go do some stretching, some mobility, like, you know, maybe some light cardio type of stuff. Like you're, you're not getting worse, man. You're, you're getting better. If your heart rate variability tells you you can't train, then you can't train. Like there's no getting around. That. I mean, it's just. Do you, it's do you just have like, a cutoff level for HRV that you say, like, if it's below this, don't train? No, I. Uh, because I don't think that, uh, you know, it, it, as much as I like the aura ring, uh, and, and I, and by the way, I think Garmin's a pretty damn good product too. Um, all of the, like every wearable out there has an algorithm and it's basing an algorithm off of a generic ideal. Sure. That might not be your ideal, right? So yeah. if your aura ring gives you a sleep score of 80, yeah, it might be the best night of sleep for you. Right. And you'll know that over time. So what I, what I, uh, what I think of those devices for is it, not so much the accuracy of the score, it's just the consistency. Okay. So I know that when I feel great in the morning mm-hmm. and I know I had a great day, uh, my sleep score was this, mm-hmm. right? And, may, and maybe that's 80 for you, not 100, right? Maybe when you sleep 100, when you get 100 score, you feel like crap. Like, right. who knows? Like, every you know because again it's an algorithm but you should be able to figure out like what works for you and uh, you know and it it's going to be somewhat accurate though like it's very unlikely that a sleep score of 20 is going to be your ideal or (laughs) you're right or your or hrv of 20 is going to be your idea that's not going to happen but like 
80 might be ideal for you. 60 might be pretty damn good for you, or it might be 60 crap for you. And you need to be at least 80 to, to train, but yeah. you'll, you, I mean, you'll figure it out. And so you have to just have to like, you know, pay attention, collect some data. You only probably only need like two months of not, you know, not super obsessive, but just two months of, you know, have a little journal or keep something on your phone or something. You just be like, you know, the days that you feel really remarkable, mm. you know, make a note about that and like, just put whatever you know about there. What, what was my sleep score? What was, what was my HRV? How long did I sleep? Yeah. Uh, what did I eat? What was my mindfulness training? Like whatever you think might've impacted it. And just try to catch like 15 great days over the course of a month. And you'll see a lot of consistency. I don't pay as much attention to the bad days because you know, the, the bad days can be bad for a thousand reasons, but good days are only usually good for about four or five reasons, you know? So like really focus on the good, like on the good days, like what do I think made today great? Yeah. Um, and you'll, you know, you'll, you'll hone in on kind of what your best score is on that. Brilliant. Doc, yeah. I can't thank you enough for, for your generosity with your time and your expertise. Uh, I know this is hugely valuable for people and I, I love that you you went down the medical wormhole a bit so that people actually have, it's, it's this just wasn't a philosophical conversation. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate that as well. Where can people get, first of all, where can people get your supplement? Where can people find out more about you? Or I, I, I'm even hesitant to ask, are you on social media? Uh, well, I'm banned from Twitter. <laughs> this is, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure why, but I, you know, I was outspoken. Oh, about, shit. <laughs> I was outspoken at the beginning about a lot of the COVID data. Oh. I'm pretty sure that's what it was, but it was, uh, it was like a month after COVID started though, that I got banned. Uh, okay. uh, well, maybe not a month or, or maybe, I was going to say, I, I was going to say it's a year, but it's probably six months after so that is probably something to do with that. But I mean, I wasn't, I mean, I'm just a medical doctor. I don't have the right to have an opinion on the disease, I guess. Sure. Um, yeah. And I was, you know, all I, I, I was not, not famous in, enough. That's why yeah. right? you're not a celebrity. You're just a doctor. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was quoting, uh, you know, I, like I was, I was posting stuff from NIH and CDC and saying like, you know, here's what this data means. And, right. um, <laughs> you know, and I posted some stuff they didn't like, you know, but it was still, accurate data like that there was no correlation between mask and break you know, and out and outbreaks in 17 different countries and like here's the data so anyway, i got banned from there uh i actually did like 30 covid videos on instagram and i didn't get banned off instagram so i'm on instagram okay um and i'm on linkedin but you can go to my website uh doc short for doctor doc and then my last name is parsley like herb p-a-r-s-l-e-y so docparsley.com um on that you can go to the shop. You can find my sleep supplement there. It's now called the sleep remedy. You can also go to sleepremedy.com. Okay. Just go straight to the shop page. Um, but if you go to my website, if you go to docparsley.com, you can get, uh, there's some downloadable PDFs, like the stress one I was telling you about. There's a lot of blogs, a lot of videos, my Ted talks on there. Beautiful. Uh, I, I post, uh, if, you know, if, if whoever I'm podcasting with wants to reciprocate, I'll post my podcast on, I'll post their podcast on my site. You know, there's, there's training videos I've done, there's videos of me lecturing, there's, like I said, there's blogs and there's my ebook and you can download my book, a Kindle version of my book off of that, all sorts of stuff. So docparsley.com and then whatever social media I have, you can find on that site too. You can link into that. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate your time. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, it's my awesome. pleasure, man. I, I love uh, I love having a soapbox to, to preach from and I don't have the work ethic to have my own podcast. So <laughs> it's <sounds> great. <laughs> have a great rest of your day. Cheers. All right, you too. This is Traver Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading.